as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're basically wrapping up our Roman series this evening. At our Good Friday service in a couple weeks, I am going to read a little bit of Romans 16. But basically, tonight is the last night in this sermon series. And we are going to skip a few verses at the end of Romans. There's a number of verses at the beginning of chapter 16 through verse 24 that are mostly focused on greetings. Paul is giving greetings to people in Rome. He's sending greetings from where he's writing the letter. Um, If you want to talk about those greetings, I'm happy to talk with you about them, but we didn't want to spend a whole sermon focused on that. So for tonight, we're going to be reading Romans 15, 14 to 33, and then we'll flip over and read Romans 16, 25 to 27. This is God's word for us tonight. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then we'll go to chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to talk about these verses in four steps tonight. We'll look first at laying down our lives as an offering to the Lord, and then we'll talk about spreading the gospel to the world, 
Third, we'll talk about building up other believers. And finally, we'll conclude by looking again to the glory of God. Our first step for tonight, our first point is that we're called to be offerings to God. We're called to be offerings to God. We had our spring classes meeting this last Wednesday. Faith is part of the Christian Reformed Church as a denomination. And as part of that, we're part of Classes Northern Illinois, which is a group of about 20 churches from downtown Chicago to the Mississippi River, basically. And we get together a couple times a year for a day to examine people who are going to be ordained as ministers and hear committee reports and hear more committee reports and hear more committee reports and discuss some different items of church business. And as part of our meeting this last Wednesday, we had to appoint delegates to go to Synod. That's our denomination's annual gathering. And it's a full week over the summer, a full week of the whole denomination or representatives from the whole denomination gathering to process church business, to spend time together, to see where God is leading us as a church, as a denomination for the next year. And when it came time in our classes meeting to appoint some delegates, there was a resounding total silence because you see it's a whole week and it's a good week but it's a whole week and it's a full intense week and it's it's a week of vacation time and i talked to a couple people over the course of the course of the day and they said boy you know i i thought about it this year i thought about it but it's a week of vacation time doesn't sound like such a big deal to some of us but to others it is i mean it's it's a week i have plans it's a week of vacation time. I, I just, I can't do it. Now, in the end, after a certain amount of encouraging, there were people who volunteered, and we got the delegates we needed. But it was a real sacrifice for some of them. It was giving up time that they would have loved to use for other things. They had other plans for that time. Now, Paul only refers to it indirectly in this passage, but as as he writes this letter to the Romans, he's in the midst of giving his whole life to the Lord's service. I'm sure there are other things he could have done with his life, other plans that he had, but he spent his whole life giving himself for the sake of the gospel. Here in this part of Romans, Paul is trying to uh, not build himself up too much, so he only kind of gives a nod in this direction but in the book of acts and other letters of paul we read about how this meant that paul was beaten up he was imprisoned he was shipwrecked he was hungry he was cold he was persecuted as he offered his life for the sake of the gospel paul kind of hints at that in this section but then he also talks about offering in another way here he talks about this offering of the gentiles and you can read that as Paul has collected some kind of offering from the Gentiles. But what he's actually saying is that he sees these converts. He sees these believers. He sees these people who didn't previously belong to Jesus, but now do belong to Jesus. He sees them. He sees those people as his offering to the Lord. So when we talk about offerings here at the end of Romans what we're talking about is offering of lives, offerings of persons. And so here's the question for us from that tonight. Are we willing to make an offering of our own lives to follow Jesus? I mean, yes, are we willing to make offerings of our money, of our resources? But deeper than that, 
Are we willing to make offerings of our whole lives? Are we willing to lay down our very selves to God? I think God calls each of us to do that in different ways, but all of us are called to be offerings to God. Romans 12 calls us to be living sacrifices. And I think it's worth wrestling with that question. What would it look like for each of us to live our whole lives as an offering to God? Let's get on to our second point for tonight. We're called to bring the gospel to the world. We're called to bring the gospel to the world. At our classes meeting last week, we were at Lawndale CRC, which is on kind of the western end of Chicago, and it's a predominantly African-American church, predominantly African-American neighborhood, a lot of challenges there, but they did a really good job of hosting us, and as part of that, they fed us a really quite good lunch, and then after the lunch, as we were all breaking up and getting ready to head back to the other room to continue our meetings, one of the people who'd been serving food came out, and he called all of our attention over And then he went not quite around the room, but he definitely went down the line and told us everyone who'd helped with the food. You know, this lady, this lady, she's the cook. She's a really good cook, and she's also the bass player at our church. And this guy, you know, he was serving the potatoes. He's an elder at the church. And this person, they're involved in the church in this way. They help coordinate the food that we give out to people who come here after school. And they also were part of the meal in this way. And this person, and this person, this person. And the guy worked himself all the way around the room in terms of people who had helped to prepare the food. He covered everybody. He made sure we knew that everyone who had been involved was worthy of thanks and made sure that he covered everything all around the room. Now here in Romans chapter 15, Paul talks about in verse 19 how he's gone from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. He says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And the word that he uses there for all the way around is a word for circle or a word for ring. Paul is giving us this picture that he's gone all the way around to everywhere and everybody. And actually, he probably wrote Romans on his third missionary journey. So he's gone around and he's gone around again And now he's going around again, all in the eastern Mediterranean. And what he's saying is, I have gone, maybe not literally to every little town and every farm, but I have gone all around this area. I have done my best not to miss anybody. And I have proclaimed the gospel everywhere in this particular area. He's saying a number of churches have been well-founded. They are strong and they will grow The work has been started well. The gospel has been proclaimed widely enough and it's been planted deeply enough that it will continue. The churches will grow. Believers will grow. New believers will be brought in. And Paul is saying he has done that work in that area. That was his special call to bring the gospel to that part of the world. Now, I think today we too have a, have a call to bring the gospel to the world. But I think these days that looks different than what we, what we might expect. In the last couple hundred years, missionaries have gone out from North America, especially, and also Europe, and they have gone out to the whole world. 
to all the corners of the globe. Missionaries have gone out and there has been an incredible response. The church is growing in Africa, in Asia, in South America in incredible ways. We have sent missionaries out for decades and centuries and God has made their work bear fruit. But these days, the mission field isn't out there anymore. This has circled around and the mission field has come home again. More and more, we live in a culture where people don't know or recognize Christ. More and more, we live in a country where people from all around the world are coming. More and more, we are the mission field. More and more, we live on the mission field. When we came back from Africa, it was a shock to us, and even just a few years, how much this culture had changed, how much less Christian things felt, how much less people knew, knew the Bible and knew about Jesus. Oh, I don't know what all the answers are, but I do believe that we are called to bring the gospel right here. Now, yes, we should also continue to send missionaries out. There's many ways that the North American church in particular can help to build up the churches around the world and can bring the gospel in some unique ways. But but right here and right now, we are called to bring the gospel to our communities, to our neighbors right here. The world has come to us. And so how can we bring the gospel next door? across the street, down the road? I think more and more that's a question we have, to, we have to wrestle with as a church. We are on the mission field right here. What does that mean for us? Now for our third point for tonight, I want to switch from looking outside the church to more looking within the church. In Romans 15, 23 to 33, Paul moves to talking about how he wants to come and visit Rome. So he wants to come and visit the believers in Rome, and then from Rome he wants to go on to Spain to spread the gospel there. But before he can do that, he has to go to Jerusalem. There have been some churches, he mentions Macedonia and Achaia especially, who have raised money to go to help the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul was among the people who had been entrusted to take that offering, to take that sum of money or whatever, and bring it to the people in need in Jerusalem. And as Paul mentions, this is a case of Gentile believers sharing their blessing with the Jewish people, just as they had received a blessing from the Jewish people. There are several ways in this text that Paul tries to hint at a mutual blessing. He wants the people in Rome who were largely Gentile believers to understand that Jesus came from the Jewish people. Jesus came from this people who God had been working with in a special way for centuries. And then after Jesus' resurrection, the apostles, the Jewish background apostles, especially Paul, had gone out and had brought the good news of Jesus Christ out to all these other people, including the people Paul is writing to, including the people in Macedonia and Achaia. These Gentiles had been blessed by Jewish believers And now it was their turn to give back, their turn to be a blessing. And there's also this kind of funny in some ways, Paul, Rome, Spain dynamic. 
Paul wants to go to Rome and he wants to encourage the believers there and he wants to be encouraged by them. And then he wants them to help him get to Spain so that he can spread the gospel there. And you can see Paul being a little careful because he wants to have a relationship with the people in Rome, but he also wants them to help him. He wants to encourage them and he wants them to equip him to go on and continue his missionary work. These verses are full of ways that Paul sees mutual benefits from believers working together. But underneath that, there's a number of tensions and challenges. See, Jewish and Gentile believers didn't always get along well, right? Jews tended to look down on those outsiders, on those unclean peoples of the world who, well, they weren't special. God hadn't been working with them for all that long, so what, who did they think they were? And often Gentiles, especially those who lived in the more urban areas, tended to look down on the Jewish people. They seemed kind of barbaric, kind of uncultured, and kind of snobbish and stuck up, to be honest with you. Not, Not real pleasant or wonderful people. So there's this built in tension in the early church between the Jewish and Gentile believers. And then with Paul and the people at Rome, there's this built in tension. They don't know each other that well, but they want to grow. But they don't know each other that well. So how do they negotiate that relationship? There's, there's all kinds of possibilities for mutual benefit, but there's also all kinds of possibilities for suspens- suspicion, for tension, for challenges. And if, if you don't know this, I hate to break it to you, but we still have tension. We still have challenges. We still have suspicion among believers today. We're still called to encourage each other. And sometimes that's easy. Often it's hard. But it's always worthwhile. And tonight I want to focus on a couple things that we in particular in our cultural setting and as who we are, we're not real good at. We're not very good at accepting help from other people. And we are not very good at learning from other people. We love to go places and serve other people. We as a church are really, really good at that. We love to build things. We love to accomplish things. We love to direct things. We love to see results. And you know, those are all good things. And I think something that God has often blessed us for us to do. But the other side of that is that we're often not good at getting out of the driver's seat. Just like the Jewish believers in Paul's day, we kind of we want to be those extra special people. We want to be those people who are a little better than everybody else. I mean, they're allowed in the church, but we know that we're just a little better than them, right? And just like the Gentile believers at Paul's time, we, we sometimes look down on other people who maybe aren't quite so sophisticated as us, aren't quite as cultured as us, aren't quite as wealthy or hardworking as us. We kind of... We kind of look down on them a little bit, even when we try to help them. Joel Hammernink was here on Thursday evening of Mission Emphasis Week. He works toward downtown Chicago in a pretty rough area. And he said a number of interesting things. His talk is actually available along with our sermons online if you want to check it out sometime. But one of the interesting things he said was, we are not able to minister effectively to someone who we look down on. We are not able to minister effectively to someone who we look down on. 
And I think for all our hearts of service, sometimes, sometimes we look down on the people we serve. Sometimes we think they need us more than we need them. Sometimes we think we've got it all together and they're the only ones who need help. But we, when we can step away from that a little bit, when we can reframe our relationship so that it's not just we who show up and provide for other people, but we who come also in need. We who come in need of being encouraged and taught. We who come in need of Jesus to forgive our sins. When we come as people who want to help, but also people who need to be helped, then we really grow. Then the people that we connect with really grow. And then the gospel is really lived out. So what does it look like? What does it look like for us to really encourage other believers in the sense of us going out and doing things for them? But also, what does it look like as believers for us to put ourselves in the position where we admit that we need help? What does it look like for us to put ourselves in the position of telling other people, we need you? What does it look like for us, like those Jewish believers, to accept help from those, those Gentiles who don't really belong? What does it look like for us to accept, to accept a relationship with people who seem unsophisticated, uncultured, not like us? And I think as we wrestle with those questions and we pursue deeper relationships with believers who are not always just like us, we see more and more of God pulling in people from all the nations of the world and God making all of us part of Christ's body in ways that we wouldn't anticipate or expect. Finally for tonight, you know, I've asked, I've asked some hard questions tonight and I hope I hope we're all feeling a little bit stretched, a little bit stretched, a little bit pushed, a little bit made to, to reflect on some things that might be challenging. I think we need that as believers. We need to be stretched a bit. But we can only be stretched, we can only go through that process in healthy ways if we are deeply rooted in Christ Jesus. We need to be pushed a bit all the time, but more than that, we need to be deeply founded and secure in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Romans wraps up with a call to look toward God's glory, and that's how I want to wrap up tonight too, with the notion that we're called, we're called to look toward God's glory. Every now and then our family will go downtown for some kind of family outing, and we usually take the Eisenhower, we take 290 down, and I usually drive. And we don't go down there all that much, and traffic is usually significant on the Eisenhower, right? So I'm always watching out for the three crazy drivers in the truck who's trying to do who knows what, and the traffic backing up in expected and unexpected places. And I'm always kind of trying to track with the GPS and all this stuff what lane I need to be in, and I need to be in this lane to get off there, to get in that lane, to get to the other place, to get to the kind of just how it is driving the Eisenhower, right? So I've got to keep my eyes on the road and the mirrors and, and really try not to hit anything. But every now and then as we drive downtown, I have these moments where I can glance up and catch just a glimpse of the Chicago skyline, catch just a glimpse of some of, 
some of the really unique buildings and the park spaces and all of those things downtownish. And I know there are challenges there. Chicago has lots and lots of issues. But there's a beauty to the downtown skyline. There is a beauty to all of those huge, unbelievably tall buildings. And especially as I've gotten to know Chicago more, there's beauty to seeing this building that has that history to it and seeing that other building that kicked off a whole architectural movement. And, and as our family has gone downtown more and more, also thinking of the time that we went there to that restaurant with this friend or we had that outing to this place. Now, when I'm driving, I usually have about half a second to take that glimpse, right? Much more than that, and our outing is going to take a nasty turn. But I do get those brief glimpses. I get to look up for just a couple seconds and see where we're going and think a little bit about the beauty of the place. Now, we spend a lot of our lives as Christians looking out all around. We got to think about the next thing. We wonder about what's coming up. We're trying to fight off this temptation. We're, we're distracted by this. We realize we aren't doing enough of that, and so we need to work on that more, and we need to think, where am I going to try to be spiritually in a few years, and what do I need to do to get there, and how do I deal with this hard stuff in my life? And there's all these things all the time. And then we're called to do even more to lay down our lives as offerings to Jesus. And we're called to bring the gospel to our neighbors even more. And we're called to build up other believers. And, and it just, it gets to be a lot sometimes, right? And so we need those moments where we can stop and we can look up even if just for a moment and again enjoy the glory of God. One of our privileges as believers is that we get to pause sometimes and just enjoy Jesus. One of the blessings of the Christian life is the opportunities we have to just stop and to reflect on how we belong to Jesus. To reflect on how he gives us the greatest comfort possible to enjoy this reality that changes everything, that Jesus, the Lord of the universe, died for you and died for me and gives us eternal life that is completely free of all sin and all brokenness and all evil. As believers, sometimes we just need those glimpses to keep going. So as Paul wraps up Romans with this glimpse toward the glory of God, I want us to wrap up this series by looking toward the glory and the grace and the love of God. At the end of all things, it is about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and about the glory of God the Father that he shows in saving us and in bringing us to live with him forever. And yes, the Christian life has all kinds of things that we have to work on and we need to be always pushing ourselves and pushing each other to live more intentionally and, and better and more like Christ. But, but even deeper than that, even deeper than that, we need to stop and to just enjoy the gospel of Jesus Christ given to us. And that gospel truth is that when we were still sinners, when we were alienated and lost, Christ died for us. And because of Christ's work, we belong to God. And so as we conclude our time together in Romans, 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. And may we catch a glimpse of the glory of God in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you help us to endure. We pray that you help us to hold on to the faith even when things are rough and even when we have so many distractions in life. And Father, we pray too that you help us to grow. Help us to be pushed and to be stretched and to really think and change and live and love more as you call us to. And Father, we pray too that you give us glimpses of your glory. At the times that we're overwhelmed, at the times we don't know who to turn to next, at, at the times when it's all just too much. Father, we ask that you help us again to realize the deep gospel truth that Jesus Christ came to save us. And help us to see you in your glory and to see you as our loving Heavenly Father whose glory is grace, whose glory is love, whose glory is bringing us into your family. Father, we pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.